All right, we're on the air. Good. Welcome uh, to uh, the Frida show, Alejandra <laughs> Salinas and uh, Aaron Bergman. Thank you, Frida, for having us. Really nice to have you guys here. Finally, nice I think to we be here. we tried this for three weeks now. Yeah. 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 Life yeah, is life is tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm persistent, so uh, I thought I had an idea because I bought this book yesterday. So I wanna. I want to read two random pages and the back cover to you guys. Okay. And uh, it's Aesthetics of Installation Art by Julia, Juliana Rebentisch. Juliana, Juliana Rebentisch, probably German. Mm. Uh, I bought it because I've been doing doing installations now for 10 years and I still have no clue. So I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe I learned something. Did you? Well, I haven't read it yet. Okay. I bought it yesterday. So okay. it's, it's totally fresh to me too. All right. So... Here it goes. In recent years, discourse surrounding the concept of art has focused in particular on installation art, as its diverse manifestations have proven to be incompatible with the modern idea of aesthetic autonomy. Defenders of aesthetic modernism repudiated installation-based work as no longer autonomous, aut autonomous, autonomous art, whereas advocates of aesthetic postmodernism abandoned the concept of aesthetic autonomy altogether. Juliana Rebentisch asserts that installation art does not, as is often assumed, dispute aesthetic autonomy per se, and rather should be understood as calling for a fundamental revision of this very concept. Aesthetics of installation art thus 
proposes a new understanding of art as well as of its ethical and political dimension. Well, that's at least part of it. Mm -hmm. So I'll just uh, open it up. And I have a page 100 and 101 for you guys. Good number. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah. It starts in the middle of a sentence, but that's, that's, that's how it that's is. That's how it looks. Yeah. Sees the faithful further development of that project. Whereas Fried, following Greenberg, insists that art can only survive by keeping the genre strictly separate. Mm. Since only such separation offers protection against the risk of degeneration into entertainment. Adorno recognizes a, a resistance against culinary use in precisely this movement of art, against its preconceived pre classification and into the various arts. Uh, and there's some kind of quote. Quite unlike the New York modernist camp, Adorno sees in the trend toward a blurring of the clean division between different genres of art, less the end of autonomy of art than, on the contrary, its salvation from the embrace fatal in the long run by self-appointed friends of the arts. For according to Adorno, the plural, touchingly Philistine, sheds light on the subject. The arts appear to the friends of the arts as nothing more than a profusion of goods on display for the contemplative, uh, contemplative observer from the kitchen to the lounge. That are then uh, inspected and sampled. For Adorno, as for uh, Duvet, the modernist avant-garde is distinguished by a resistance to any given context of aesthetic expectation. The duve that decides what is still and what is no longer art. The subdivision of art into the arts appears in this context as one of the most stubborn conventions from which art must free itself for the sake of its uh, autarky, indeed its autonomy. The avant-garde, Adorno writes, took the Philistine question, is that, uh, is that still? Quite literally. And it answered with an art that no longer wishes to be art in the sense of a preconceived specific generic, cate generic categories established for it. In 1967, Adorno is thinking of the sound montage by an Italian composer, Franco Don Donatoni, uh, Giorgi uh, Ligeti's Atmospheres, as well as Hans G. Helm's serially organized prose. The partial temporalization of sculpture in Alexander Calder's uh, Mobiles and the tendency towards spe uh, specialization in Bernard Schultz's paintings. The development toward the fraying of the arts, however, is in Adorno's interpretation, and this is, as we will see, leads to a certain rapprochement between his position and that of his, his American colleagues. Not the result of a sudden generational ignorance toward the medium specificity, specific, specificity of the various artists. In contrast with the Duve, who is concerned with the post-medial situation of the art of after Duchamp, something we will come back to in 2.2.3. Adorno is defending merely a movement motivated by the internal log logic of development of the individual arts themselves. The convergence of the individual arts in the 60s, according to Adorno, is an essential consequence of an engagement with the particular problems internal to each art. Based on the fact that the development towards fraying in the arts is motivated by an engagement with each individual art's imminent problems, rather than, as it were, and joined up the individual arts from the outside as well. Adorno then distinguishes this development from the art of the Romantics, who demanded the unification of the genres of art into one art, primarily in the name of the subjectivity that would be equally at work in each of the arts. 
Works of art became the impression of a soul, one that was not necessarily identical with that of the composer. It was the language of the self freely expressing itself. This idea brought the arts closer to one another. It could no doubt be shown that the same soul animates all the different arts, but their boundaries were scarcely weakened by this. They, remain, they remained what they were, and this disparateness, uh, this disparateness, disparateness, is not the least important critical reason for the most recent development. As a development motivated by a critical engagement of the internal logic of each individual art itself, the tendency toward fraying in the 60s, claims Adorno, is different not only from the art of Romantic era, but also from any inclination toward the, the Gesamtkunstwerk. For what Adorno calls fraying does not, properly speaking, aim at a unification of the arts. The artists of the 60s did not plan the convergence of the arts as such. Nor does this convergence entail an attempt to synthesize the arts. The fact alone marks a fundamental distance between the movement and the idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk. For this idea, according to Adorno, violently seeks to undo what indeed cannot be undone. Namely, the history, uh, different, historical differentiation uh, of the arts with their specific media. But Adorno sees yet another reason why the development toward a fraying of genre boundaries in the 60s must not be associated with the unifying ide ideology of the... And that was it. Maybe a lot to think about uh, so early in the day. <laughs> well, I would say, first of all, I'd open up by the, the back quote said something about a, uh, a new aesthetic. Yeah. Or something like that. So, first of all, the word "new" is always problematic. Let, let's see when it's ri written the whole book. That's that's always also a, a giveaway. It seems that it's been first published in two thousand and three. Mm. So certainly, none of the things that they're that, that are being talked about are on the Karl Marx Allee. Yeah, obviously in Berlin. Yeah. So that's the first issue, but we can go into that later. But then. Uh, Another couple of assumptions, and first of all, I guess the idea that that one of the conditions of arts is that it should have some kind of autonomy. Mm. That's very, very problematic because, in a way, it's just assumed without without much discussion afterwards. Like this is this kind of the, the assumed condition in which we work, except that's it's only assumed. It actually is not so often discussed. Mm -hmm. So yeah. those are the two things that first stuck out. Well, but didn't it also? Um, well, I I I think I understood that more like um, that. This idea of autonomy is is more easily kind of uh, detained in in a specific genre. Mm. You know, if you're if you're painting, you know, it's easier to understand than if you do if you do painting, movies, you do a bit of theater, and you do writing, and you do sculpture. You know. That is, yeah. that is much more contained, and you can yeah you can speak about yeah the the, the boundaries are much more uh, limited. So, uh, and I think it it talks more about about losing that autonomy. So I think autonomy uh, you're right is maybe the wrong word for this. The, it's not autonomy. It's it's basically uh, some kind of conservatism. Conservatism, but also the 
conservatism in a way based on the need to define and to to have boundaries. To have boundaries. Mm. Mm. But also I think the assumption about installation is that because it is dealing with the space and people moving with the space and then the relationship of the objects in the space with each other and with the people inhabiting it, mm. then the assumption is that it is more social and more uh, political and more mm. having to deal with, um, yes, con contact, uh, something in relationship to something else. Yeah, because so yeah, it infringes more on... on, on maybe also not art-related things. Exactly. Um, but then I think that that is one of the ideas that she was getting at in the back of the book. Mm. Um, but I think that that's not necessarily anything new or anything specific to installation. I think it's being talked to in relationship to installation, but it will be grown to assume that you put the painting on the wall and then mm. that painting is independent to its environment and the people... Mm around it right mm. i would think mm. Mm. Well, the idea of installation i guess come came about when the expanded understanding of sculpture of course that's the basic sort of thing um but we could say that the idea of installation came about when artists and or thinkers became aware of and responsible for a bigger context. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you have Kurt Schwitters in the 120s or something, he already made mm. installations. Mm. Yeah. Gesamtkunstwerk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, before the uh, early on. So, but that I always kind of found like they did a lot of interesting stuff before the World War and it, it seemed they almost had to start all over again. In some ways. I mean, yeah, what happened yeah. was they went to the US right. and that's when the US that's when the, the whole kind of like art production and thinking shifted mm. from Europe to the US because mm. um, the smartest um, more or less if they weren't killed directly they were they went to the US mm. yeah and then the climate was much more conservative of course mm. yeah but but yeah all these people who were doing interesting stuff were we're, we're pushing boundaries and the stuff that came up I think it took about 30 years after the world war before mm -hmm. before they caught up with what they were doing before in in in, in yeah in, in kind of expression and that's mm -hmm. also I think when the, when this when this conversation came about about the installation because they they came to a point where where they didn't have to limit themselves just to a painting on the wall mm -hmm. Or a sculpture in a space because a if you place a sculpture in a space, it's the same thing as right. placing a painting on the wall. You you, you put it in space, uh, um, and in relation to itself, not in relation to other things. And and so what you deal with if you see the sculpture is you deal with the the rules of the sculpture, not the rules of the sculpture in relation to the rules of of all the other things integrated into the installation. And and uh, uh, you know especially with paintings, which is all you know is well mostly a two-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. So it's always an illusion or a representation mm -hmm. of an idea or of an yeah. of an uh, uh, thing. Uh, that's my my problem with painting. I I really I would really love to paint, but I can't because I can't deal with this kind of 
abstract layers. I, I need physical layers to understand them much more. Well, but that that changed, of course, um, when the with the shift of understanding that it used to be that the painting was a window, mm-hmm. and then it became painting became an object, mm-hmm. a flat object, but an object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then this has expanded a lot in the last ten years, especially with the idea of expanded painting, in which. Mm. Um, it's one thing to produce a surface. It's another thing to to also have um, this this thing, this painting thing, object, mm. um, part of something else yeah. mm. in some way. And I think that that's where contemporary painting is moving. People doing um, maybe painting something on the wall and then having something a painting yeah. on top of it yeah. or a, a series of paintings that they have to be seen together. Yeah. So I think painting it's is moving to areas where it is not longer about bringing a painting in the suitcase and hanging it yeah no i i just i just saw um i just ran into a blog post uh, i even twittered it of Günter Reski. he has a show mm. in dusseldorf mm-hmm. kunstverein yeah, yeah we saw those photos yeah. yeah so he's working uh, like that uh, he yeah uh, i was just i brought him up because he's a perfect example for this where he mm. kind of uh, yeah, it, he doesn't he, he hangs the wall full of things and they kind of start to intermingle and they're mm-hmm. kind of tell some maybe some some story or they they do something else than just you know representing a window as you say right and also people who have one of his paintings at home they're still the same narrative and the same person but it's very different experience than in the museum where it it does make a total space in a way with painting going back to Kurt Schwitters though um, what was happening in the early 20th century um, was a kind of return to the way art forms were produced um, throughout the millennia anyway. Mm. So um, specifically what Schwitters was look- looking at were cathedrals. Mm. Yeah. And he noticed that um, when an object was hung, especially in Catholic churches and cathedrals, um, the object was wasn't in a way alone it was part of the architecture it was yeah. part of the ceremony part of the rituals and it also was, added yeah. meaning to the structure yeah, it was part of the narrative of the mm-hmm. church part of the well. narrative yeah. but it was i mean a, a church is a gesamtkunstwerk mm-hmm. i mean it has sculpture mm-hmm. painting sound smell. rituals smell light. performance yeah. light everything mm-hmm. yeah and so um this is this is a, a condition <laughs> it, that's it's a really obvious thing but i i actually never mm. realized that as such it's yeah, a fairly. Yeah. It's a. It, this this right, way yeah. of looking. I mean, of of, of producing um, ritual. Uh, this way of producing, I guess, what would be considered art before art was called art, mm-hmm. um, was, is actually very normal. Mm-hmm. This is the norm throughout most of human history, mm-hmm. and then it began to disappear with um, various with various kind of like enlightenment things, and then capitalism, and then uh, or uh, more like industrial. Um, bourgeois capital lifestyle mm. um, s- these things kind of slipped away um, mm. but then uh, with Schwitters especially but of course the history of the 20th century leading up to so-called installation art in the 60s um, this is a return to in a way the sort of the way that art has been produced for millions of years it's, it's also very similar to the idea and, and, and this is where if we think about land art for example it's similar to the idea of um Gardens. Mm-hmm. Gardens is another very kind of traditional way where humans are producing an installation. Mm-hmm. 
and um, it's it's not nature anymore. Mm. But it's no longer is it um, something that's completely artificial. It's actually working with space in in this way. Um, that you know, it's it's showing an artistic way of 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 using nature. Mm. So um, you can be engaged from many views. It has many different. You can enter it. Yeah, um, from many different ways. Yeah. And but it's it's also a bit closed. I mean, especially in private gardens, you know, mm. there you have to get an invitation to get in there. You uh, mm. yeah. or you have to climb the fence, <laughs> be, be chased by dogs. And right. <laughs> yeah. But another thing. Or that you have to become a monk. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that the text was addressing was this idea of um, art becoming entertainment yeah. when all the arts are mixed together. Yeah. But I guess that's when you talk about maybe music and a light show and opera and uh, well, I whatever. I don't. Name. I don't think. Well, th- that's that's the uh, well, theatrical that's the way. Of the book, uh, right? Well, that was that was one. Of, yeah. What. what but that that's one way of looking at it the other way could be that i mean it can turn into entertainment uh, you know I, in i say when i work with an installation i'm always very aware of this cuz it's you know cuz the boundary to entertainment is is quite quite uh, you know quite near <laughs> so to say it it always lurks around the corner yeah. you know it's easy to you don't want it to be a roller coaster you know you don't want to be it to uh, for it to be a short kick but you want you want it to be seductive enough so that mm. uh, so that people you know are invited to, to we want to engage yeah to engage with the piece and and uh, and you know, hopefully get something out of it mm. Mm. and that you know the boundary to, kind of, you have to use some tricks which you you know to maybe entertainment tricks to get the people in and to get you know because you compete with so much other stuff out there mm-hmm. so for people to decide okay i'm going to watch this show you know and and for not them not to kind of turn around after one second and say okay this is not for me mm-hmm. you know you have to have some kind of entertainment i think that's also the other thing which is uh, i think interesting now is you know this competition with with all the other mm-hmm. visual input Mm. Uh, we put out there, mm. yeah. And and you have as an artist, you have to compete with you know to to multi million dollar movies and to to um, you know to all these the, the, all the TV programs, which which can be quite quite absurd and quite good, you know. And sure. And and uh, so you have to compete much more against all these uh, bigger institutions. Uh, even 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 uh, um, uh, commercial ones, you know, uh, uh, advertisement agency. In Frankfurt, I think there was like these sculptures for you know a guy with a newspaper in his hand, a sculpture hanging, and that was that was kind of a, a commercial for a newspaper. Mm. You know, this is absurd. Mm. So basically, the the strategies or the the, yeah. the things you develop as an artist. You know, they, they have they, been borrowed by all kinds of other media. Well, they have always have been, but there was a delay. You know, so you you know it could take ten years before it could be attracted, but now it's instantaneously. Mm. Now you hear all the time that video artists, you know, they get their style stolen from from big music uh, people who kind sure. of turn it into music videos and sure. you know, and feed off the hipness. Mm. And uh, so it goes instantaneously, and which which I think is a 
very interesting position because because mm-hmm. uh, it makes you realize you can't compete with that. No. Yeah. yeah. And you shouldn't compete. No, with no, 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 no. It's completely different. It's yeah. just another. It's another like avenue of life. It's another yeah. field. Yeah. Mm. And although they can, they they can and they do cross over, mm. and they can and they do um, influence one another, but basically, there is there must be another understanding of what art's role is compared to what advertising's right. role is, mm. or or pop culture. Because mm. one thing that attracted me to art in the first place is that art can be boring and it can be ugly and it can be unpleasant and it can be all those things that are terrible mm. for any other for a movie will be terrible mm. or for uh, uh, f- for for a play like a mainstream play or for mm. TV or whatever mm. but for art it could be okay mm. it could be okay to have s- a guy sleeping that's yeah. you know and yeah. I think that's yeah. something that's or, or a woman just sitting on a chair right. with other people on a chair right. in front of them <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so I think there's some beauty in there we, yeah. we have a we know we have we know someone who's a very smart guy and um, not interested at all in art. Mm. And he said that uh, the Lord of the Rings um, trilogy, or whatever it is, are there four now? I don't remember. That's a trilogy, but um, now the, the next trilogy came out. Yeah. Um, that these films are basically the, the, the end product of all of human artistic production. <laughs> <laughs> so that all other arts... From like superficies, from, from all of the history, have have built up so that the Lord of the Rings could be made. Yeah, and the Lord of the Rings represents the highest pinnacle of artistic expression. Yeah. And he said, you know, literature, acting, um, sculpture, computer art, yeah. sound, everything. Yeah, everything is like. And well, so, and and although you know, I, I of course I disagreed immediately. But, but he has a point. But, there, but, but he has a point. But I mean, here's the thing. Um, this I, I, we enjoyed the Lord Lord of the I mean they're fine mm. they're they're totally entertaining they they have mm. a lot it's true they're really fairly spectacular but I would say that if if those films killed all potential of making anything else mm. then we as a species should just stop right now but that's that's where the problem lies it's it's, it's not of course it's a um, his statement is a, a provocative one you know, he obviously doesn't mean that. He just wanna pro- wants to provoke. He does, but but because uh, that's the thing, you know. In 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 most other fields, like the end result is kind of you know everybody's chasing for you know for this end, the end result, mm. you know, the 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 car that is so high and wild that you never need another, as uh, <laughs> as Leonard Cohen so nicely said. And but. I don't think that's what art is about. It's not about making the best. It's not about, you know, m- achieving the ultimate goal and then having, yeah, you know, and then you can let go. Hmm. Uh, it, it is, it is as much a, a personal search as as it is a collective search, hmm. and uh, a search not not for a result, but a search for for being maybe. Hmm. Yeah, it should be uh, ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. With the species, yeah. I mean, this mm. is like something that individuals do, and something that the res publica does, mm. as as a very essential part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so put all the critic aside to this this small uh, excerpt of this book. Uh, I like this idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk, mm-hmm. you know, where you where you 
try to engage all senses and all experiences and all all you know as much as you can in order to to you know further yourself or to mm. kind of to to walk walk a certain path you haven't done before and which which maybe helps you out in life. Mm. So in that sense, a film would not be a Gesamtkunstwerk because no, it cause doesn't it, really engage it, your body. It doesn't have smell. No. It doesn't have. Uh, ju it just engages mind. Yeah. And it can do that in a spectacular eyes, way. Eyes, ears, and mind. Yeah. yeah. So it does that in a spectacular way. But I think a real interesting thing is if you, if you, uh, if you walk through a movie, right. you mm. can be physically part of the movie. Which we are in reality, because if you look... We're sitting there with the light on us. I, w I was telling a story yesterday, too. I had, a, I had this meeting with these theater people, and I was telling this story, and this was a bit embarrassing, because <laughs> for me, it was. Because at my bachelor party, I uh, I was taken away, so I didn't know where we were going, and we were in Rotterdam, and so we went into this, in the harbor somewhere, there was like this big, uh, I say... Uh, storage thing or where they fixed u-boats or whatever mm -hmm. and so i thought oh my we're gonna go for a boat trip so we went in and there was like this um, cash machine and it was like a sculpture of a baby on the floor and then you came in there was this huge concrete kind of house with no doors and you could look inside and and then there was like a limousine where they were kind of fixing and there was a pregnant woman on the phone with a shopping trolley and there was like some toilets where the and it took me 20 minutes before I realized, hey, fuck, I'm an insula installation. This was an Elm Green and Draxet uh, installation. <laughs> oh, hey. It took me 20 minutes. And, and I, I, I thought a lot about it later. And it, it just kind of, you know, we're, as artists, we're, we're used to live in Alice in Wonderland all the time. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's our, our, yeah. our, our normal. You know? And so I, I think for us, normality is much more absurd than yeah. I, I, I mean i'm super amazed by by reality you know i, I don't understand a thing mm. i really don't yeah yeah traveling and ending up in situations you know or or just like going you to meet a new all neighborhood kinds of people. yeah or getting invited to a dinner party of people you don't know that well there's so many occasions in which um suddenly this there's this reality sitting in front of you that you didn't could you had no idea existed no no, no. No, and that's 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 still the realities you more or less control. But think about all the all the other. We we're talking. You you guys need to go to the bank to meet some people. How hard that is, yeah. <laughs> and that that this banking thing becomes this abstract entity which is out there somewhere. But you have to search for it, and you have to get. Yeah, of course you can find stuff online, but that's that's also abstract. That's also kind of some kind of representation of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. That's really weird. Mm. But then if we talk about this um, separation of uh, mediums that the book is talking about, mm -hmm. then that's in an educational, structural way. That's also very important because yeah. that's what the schools are dealing with all the yeah. time. Should we have a professor of sculpture, a professor of painting? Should we yeah. just have a professor of contemporary art? And now that so many schools are... Uh, in Europe, they are moving together, where yeah. they are moving design and photography yeah. and filmmaking and yeah. design together. And then in the U.S., where they are thinking about um, what to do with their universities, too, because yeah. they but have... But there, they had it all together. They had it already. together, but yeah. now they are also thinking about um, if they should have a sculpture, painting, instead of inside of the art department, Very design. Few. So a few of the, in a way, the more advanced programs have 
done away with, um, with the... media divisions. Mm. And they just hire people in contemporary art, basically, who have different skills. And they make sure that they have a lot of skills represented in a department. Yeah. But most of the of the university art degrees in the U.S. have um, very strict separations between um, sculpture, painting, um, et cetera, photography. Yeah. I mean, even Yale yeah. and the, some of the best so-called programs yeah. um, still have this this strict just uh, separation between the boundaries. But then, on the other hand, you will have some design classes, for example, or some. Um, theory cl yeah. more theory so it's in a way it's more separated than here but then on the other hand it's also more together because yeah. you have access to more variety of classes mm. yeah. so it's a different structure but anyway however you however each country uh, takes it there is always this uh, conversation from within mm. and this is always being rewritten how much of a separation between medias you should have yeah. And I think that that implements how the students are going to approach um, well, yes working. Well, yes and no. I think because uh, my education comes partly from Netherlands, part from Norway. And uh, the Dutch Academy, we had, we had I think, yeah, we had, we, we had a school where design and it was not a big school. We had design and we had art together. And the art was divided up in three things. It was painting and other medias, uh, sculpture and other medias, and ceramics and other medias. Hmm. That's interesting. And, uh, um, but, but you could do basically whatever you wanted. Mm. The interesting thing was the, the people from the painting and other, ins uh, uh, another media who uh, were doing installation or sculpture, they made a different kind of installation or sculpture than the, uh, than the, you know, the sculptors and other installation, you know, the other department. And vice versa as well. If, if somebody painted in the, so it, it was in the end it was more about a certain mentality mm -hmm. not about a, I mean a medium represented some kind of mentality mm -hmm. and which it does mm -hmm. you know I mean you, you you pick out through your through your artist career you pick up certain kind of preferences mm -hmm. you know what kind of material were you have people who love to work with clay I hate clay I think it's <laughs> terrible on the fingers you know, or, or people who can really deal with the layeredness of painting you know and and uh, and uh the, the logistics come come with that, but so they they often stand for a more complex system of logistics. You mm. know, you see how much crap I have around ma myself here. That's be because I build a lot of stuff. So mm -hmm. and I can deal with that, but a lot of people can't deal with having a lot of stuff. They you know they they yeah our happy. studio would does not look like this. No, uh, yeah, but we don't build a lot. No, but we wouldn't really. For me, I would get a, a sort of panic yeah. coming yeah. in to yeah. work because I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the shelves would just start falling in on me. Yeah. yeah. No, and and for me, I can just ignore that. Yeah. I, or and I, I can even make use. I get a lot of energy out of it as well because mm. I think, oh, you know, if if I'm stuck, I can just dig through some boxes. I think, oh yeah, yeah, I saved that piece five years ago because <laughs> I wanted to make that out of it. Yeah. Maybe I should do that, and I do often. I uh -huh. do, you know. So it, I mean, it, it's basically a library mm -hmm. I have yeah. here, a material and ideas library, mm. right. and I like to have that around. Yeah. And other mm. people, you know, arrange that differently. They, they, you mm. know, have a literal library, or they have have an online library, or they mm. have it in their head, or, mm -hmm. or yeah. whatnot. And so, I mean, so in that sense, I think medium is quite important, but not not because the medium is important, but because it stands for a certain kind of um, a mentality. I would say. Yeah. 
Oh, I agree with that. But I just think that if you have a situation where um, you have a painting department, then mm. you're giving people the choice of having a studio and making painting, which is fine. Mm. But then if you have a, a contemporary, a professors in contemporary art with contemporary art departments and then a lot of theory classes, then you are a, a, the students are more likely to go towards a post-studio kind of structure, mm. which is also fine. But I do think that these ways that the schools are um, separated do kind of position the students a little bit. Although, of course, yeah, yeah. students will choose to be painters even if there is no painting professor and people yeah. will choose to otherwise. But it does kind of... Yeah. Well, the, you know, when the academy moved, there was a discussion, okay, how much space does a student get? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's that's how normal schools deal with things, mm. and uh, my 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 um, suspicion is always that art schools are not happy with installation artists, because not because they don't want them to be installation artists, but it's pain in the ass logistic wise and right. space wise. And, you know, because these people make a big mess. You have a lot of stuff around, and mm. you know, you have if you have old students doing installation art, you know, that's that's <laughs> right. a bit yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, so you you you. It's a lot more comfortable that people work on their laptop on sure. a small desk because you know that's manageable. Yeah, then you just give them an office, basically. Yeah, mm. which which was what happened almost. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which which was what happened. We were yeah. fighting for like three square meters. You know, I mean, yeah. it's really it, yeah. either way the studios were going to be crap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was really, it's true. It was really set out that um, s that students should either work on their laptops. Yeah. Or. Do small drawings or or be in the workshops. Mm. Yeah. Like you should, um, you should actually. You sh the art production is more like um, factory labor, mm -hmm. yeah. in which you can exist alongside the other factory laborers, yeah. mm -hmm. which producing is pretty conceptual things. based. And 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 well, I feel there's a quite a heavy conceptual sauce on on at least a Norwegian art scene. Mm. And uh, I, I personally, I always think that's. I think the physical part of making is is uh, is becoming more more essential as well, or becomes more necessary as well. Yeah, because you know, ideas. Uh, as I said earlier, you have to compete with so many good ideas out there of of non-artists. Uh, you know that mm. that that's not enough in a way. You know, to come up with a good idea is not hard. You know, if we, you know, if we, uh, we are all trained in this and we can come up with five good ideas a day, mm. well, that makes uh, you know, mm. what, thirty-five ideas a week. It's a lot of ideas. You know, mm. I mean, so to come up with a good idea is is not hard, mm. but but to kind of come up with a good idea plus, right. you know, the physical physical translation of that, mm. and for this physical translation, you need you 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 need a certain uh, certain set of skills where you need to kind of how to get these skills from others and you need uh yeah deal with those things mm. well, well we have been working now for years i mean it's kind of simple but it has taken us a while to figure out is that you should have a good reason for doing something yeah. and then kind of like it should just kind of make sense and click and it should be it should be kind of appealing and smart and then also it should be formally working Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that that should be your starting point. Yeah. I think personally. But uh but maybe I expect too much of art too. Yeah. That's But you should. Yeah, I think we should. You know, I mean, I don't think we need to work towards the best possible art that will then end all the other art. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think we should we should be ambitious, yeah. you know, or to to try and really figure some things out. Mm. You know, we're still really fairly underdeveloped as a species. Mm. I mean, especially as the art species. Oh my god! <laughs> so I think there's still a lot, a lot missing. So well, we, here is the we thing. have the obligation to try and at least, you know, give to, it a shot. To try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're curious, um, inquisitive, um, you have inspirations and you have desires to do something meaningful, yeah. then you will still maybe fail. But if you said to be mediocre, yeah. then like the best that you're going to be is mediocre, which is not good enough. Yeah, yeah, so no. I think everyone should expect a lot from... And that's where I find the there's a little bit. Uh, it's been very problematic to be in Norway, frankly, because there's this sense that if if it's competent, mm. if mm. it's like identifiable as, as art, art and competent, mm. then you will have a perfectly successful career in Norway. Mm. And especially if you are already Norwegian and if you sort of know some people, then mm. you're totally fine. Mm. But this is the most like it's so so lacking absolutely lacking in a kind of like human spirit mm. the poverty of that way of thinking is deeper than the, like the deepest like poverty of of like the the worst hellhole country on earth mm. that kind of poverty of spirit is like for me absolutely fucking depressing it's mm. so deeply like for me i just that kind of But poverty you, is is too much to bear No, I I don't see it quite as dramatic as you do, but uh, <laughs> but but isn't that more or less a global thing at the moment that we in not, a way. Not, that that we kind of suppress these you know these these uh, let's say deeper thoughts or deeper deeper qualities because we still haven't come to terms with kind of the speed of information, the speed of changes, the speed of you know development. We've been confronted in an everyday life, so that that, so in a way that we become a bit more conservative than we actually are, because otherwise mm. we go berserk. Mm. Yeah, well, that's part of it. But I think in Spain and in the U.S., the um, art being produced is more extreme. Like mm. most of it is a lot worse than mm. what is being done in Scandinavia. Mm. I would say like 80% is worse. Or 90 maybe. Or maybe it's 90. Worse. Mm. It's just like less informed, less uh, conceptually aware, less um, formally interesting, mm. uh, less innovative. Uh, like 90% maybe is just very, very bad stuff. Mm. But then there is this 10% who are like, you know, the aliens. Mm. That they will come out with something that will mm. blow your mind. Right, and well, it's it seems not possible like to have aliens in Norway because it's absolutely cut down at the f like as soon as there's any like uh, appearance of an alien, it's snipped. Because yeah. I think like the quality is just really good across the board, but then yeah. there are no these peaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I Which I, you know is part of I guess the Scandinavian model of education. Of men, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit similar yeah. in the Netherlands too, because. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Above the corn, or above the cornfield, or how you say, above yeah. the grass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You stick above the grass, you're being cut down. That's that's a bit similar in the Netherlands. So all the, I think the all, most of the interest artists in the Netherlands they they move abroad too. Mm. Mm. 
I think this might be just a and human it, condition yeah, yeah. that people really can't get other people in general unless <laughs> they have the exact same unbelievably experience. like um, mundane experience as the yeah. other person. But as soon as you get to have a bit more experience, then it's difficult oh, yeah, for people yeah, to fame, relate. Yeah, I, di I didn't want to single my out, but I, it was yeah, that was my thought as well. Kind of oh, maybe maybe we really just this some you have this realization over and over again you know every so often that you say oh yeah maybe we really don't understand each other we very often don't because yeah. i look i look at sometimes people in the eye and they seem perfectly <laughs> perfectly reasonable yeah. and perfectly intelligent yeah and you know it seems like we might have this sort of like maybe even a similar outlook on life in a way yeah and then something will come out of their mouth yeah that it shows an absolute lack of insight yeah Or anyway, at least a, a la an absolute lack of seeing the same thing that I see. Yeah. So like they'll say that, that go, is that red, go both. and I'll say that is not <laughs> red. <laughs> Whatever that, you see is. <laughs> but that could go bo go both ways. That could be your insight or the other person's exactly. inside. Huh? I mean, yeah. there's yeah. always it's there's always to, the two sides, yeah. Yeah. and it's hard to kind of sometimes distinguish which is. Right. I mean, from your yeah. side, I guess you see red, so it's like right. that. But of course, you're not seeing it from the other person. Yeah. yeah. Then, then you have to be a bit um, harsh with yourself then to actually see where to try and pinpoint the the places where you might have blind spots and mm. to try and pinpoint the places where maybe you don't actually know. Mm -hmm. um, but and also to kind of find the areas in which you do have experience and where in things that you do know. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things that we we do have is a lot of international experiences. I mean, we've mm -hmm. lived in many countries, mm -hmm. lived there yeah. and spent time and speak yeah. other languages and like have done the tax systems and yeah. like seven countries now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so like the, there's your expats. There's a couple of things that we know about the differences between systems. Mm. And these things, um, like the differences in systems, you know, are very clear when you switch systems. Mm. Yeah. And they are absolutely invisible when you're just living in them. Yeah, yeah. like now that we're moving back to the U.S., it just yeah. seems like everything kind of like... But, uh, but another thing I was wondering just now is, is because you're being confronted with so many systems, do you get really tired of systems after a while? Or, or do... I... Not I tired of systems, but I, I just I just get like everyone says this is how we do it because that's how you should do it. Yeah. So then, for example, uh, property taxes in the U.S. They, um, you know, like everyone assumes that you should pay property taxes. That yeah. That's just how you fund schools, and that's just how you fund libraries, and that it should be based on where you live, not yeah. where you work. So yeah. that is matter of fact. Uh, but then coming from here, when where the uh, taxing comes from income, yeah. and then you never can lose your house because even if you lose your job, then you don't pay taxes. The property tax is very yeah. low, in yeah. Yeah. mostly in Europe and in Norway, and property yeah. taxes are very high in the U.S. So if you own your place and you, and you lose your job, you can lose your house. Yeah. But here you wouldn't. So this the assumptions on both sides are pretty big, but we have to say that it doesn't work in the U.S. That's fucking crazy. And in yeah. here, it it works much better. It's much more logical. It's much 
more humane. Like healthcare, for example, exactly. like yes, there's some mechanisms right. in the US. So yeah. more than anything, what we're tired of is is seeing that um, the systems are so absolutely set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you see that there's a better way of doing something, yeah. you can't say, oh, but you know you know what they do in the United States? Or, oh, you know what they do in the Netherlands that works better than here? Because yeah. as soon as you say that, they're like, oh, yeah, don't go, the, don't go to the Netherlands then. Right. Or oh, yeah, go yeah, back yeah. to the United States yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you make a suggestion... They see it as a threat or as, an, as, 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 yeah, right. as a critique. Or, or like, if it's yeah. so much better there, then why don't you go there? And Because the bottom line is all these systems are absolutely fucked up in in different ways right yeah. and yeah. so like if you could combine <laughs> the successful parts right. of the different and systems and then you could produce a, a logical and reasonable country and right. i mean we have the means we have the information we have the means we have to communicate you know we can communicate these these you know we, we can yeah. make a better system mm. we actually do you can but as i said we're i think we're still scared shitless of the speed of technology speed mm. of information you know what i said before mm. i think that i, I think we pretend that it's all fine, but um, 10 years ago, our world was completely different. We didn't have the same access. We didn't have the same fluent fluidity in, in moving around, in kind of, you know, in moving stuff around. Mm-hmm. Whether it's ideas, people, mm-hmm. tra- uh, products, uh, you know, capital, whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this, the exponential speed, which it goes, I mean, we, we, we have, a, I think, Maybe it's just me, but we I think we have a hard time keeping up with it. Mm. Yeah, you know? and uh, yeah, and I, I I read about I don't know thirty forty blogs a day. Yeah, and uh, from everything from art to information to conspiracy theories to you know just tumblers to um, you know entertainment whatnot every like everything so. I, I try to get like some kind of. Cr- I don't read the news. That's one thing I don't do. Mm. I, I like to read indirect news because mm. the important things seep through to all these mm. areas, mm. Yeah. and you get a much more clearer view because you don't get the hyped up, uh, distorted uh, the news. View. The corporate yeah, corporate news uh, mm. view. So, uh, but you know, just kind of the amount of development. You know, what just people kind of invent every day. Right. Yeah, there was this 19-year-old go- or old, uh, old girl who kind of invented the thing that you can charge your cell phone in 20 seconds. Hmm. That's know? pretty cool. In Australia, just, just they've, they have a printer which prints out uh, one sheet of uh, solar panel a minute. Hmm. Uh-huh. And they can basically, uh, Australia can solar panel their whole country and cut their energy bill by 70%. Yeah. Because they have sun all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And and if they can produce them that cheap, where they can just print them out and stick them to a glass, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. And stuff like this happen now. It, mm. It's not like I've I've been reading blogs now. I think for three or four years intensively. And and just in that time space, kind of the frequency of of these kind of news. You know, first you had like this yeah. kind of news. You had it mm. maybe once a year. You know, or you had like one, and then once a half a year, and now it's. You know, ba- ma- almost on a daily basis. Yeah, that's true. Well, this, it's true that this when th- when information, you know, science, scientific or artistic in general, g- get shared that quickly, then it, right. these things develop very quickly, mostly for for better. Yeah, I would say that that people like you and I and, and us, um, we're I think we're more because we read about that many blogs too. Mm. Um, and I think we're more capable of dealing with it, or in a way because we want to. Or, um, though I think the the least capable 
of dealing with this are institutions mm. and especially financial systems mm. such as record labels, movie studios, mm. different um, copyright holding studios. Oh, it's cool. Schools. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we, we talked earlier about schools, kind of that they're still debating if they yeah. should have these direct. They sh- of course, they shouldn't. You know, it's completely irrelevant in that yeah. sense. Well, yeah. that's what we all say. Of course, they shouldn't, but then somehow they do to have them. They yeah, do, because the same old guys who are afraid of reading blogs or afraid of like dealing with new information, they can't handle it. And they just yeah. they they maintain this. this no, kind but it of it takes separation. a lot of out of you to kind of read that much or to kind of get that much information in. And I always I trained myself all my life, you know. I remember going to the first time in the Biennale. Uh, we had this uh, a friend of mine from the from from the art school, and we we tried to do like we wanted to see everything. No, I was not. Maybe it was Documenta. I think it was Documenta. So we we basically had two minutes per pavilion, so we kind of run through, and we man you know we managed to see everything. And normally, you're kind of, you know a normal person after two three spaces, they're kind of completely filled up. Mm. But you can train that. You can you can train it by kind of just overdosing yourself all the time yeah and after that i did that with movies as well I, uh, you know i had a couple of years where i, was, I watched three two well two movies a day or oh. <laughs> you know and i mean just the amount of information and because you basically you, you you read a book a day you know or or i've had also, also periods that i read 20 books in in two months or something like mm-hmm. so i was been eager to kind of suck mm-hmm. up information and mm-hmm. and that makes it easier for other information to to suck up and also to kind of be more open because mm-hmm. the more information you get the more open you need to be because you can't say oh this is wrong because you, you'll be upset all the time <laughs> you know or this is right it's fantastic you can't do that you so the other side doesn't work either you just see oh okay yeah what kind of implications does that this have what kind of process what are the cons what you know who's who's benefiting from this so you kind of you you learn in a way to kind of sort through it more, more neutrally. Mm. It's very Buddhist. Yeah, we, yeah. You but by overload you. So it's not Buddhist by choice, but it's Buddhist by overload. It's by well Buddhist in that you you're trained you've trained your mind to deal with things in a different way. Mm. So instead of reacting emotionally to mm. to the information, you 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 react very coolly, mm. in that it's not going to let you go up or down. It's just going to. You you will sort of file it away appropriately. Mm. Yeah, but it's very interesting to. Uh, I just re- there, you know you have these videos which go viral these days, and there was like a really, really, really bad one. Uh, I think two years ago or something about against this kind of dictator somewhere in Africa who had all these child soldiers and stuff. Yeah, this right. were this kind of oh, yeah. right-wing Christian fuck-up people who, who did this and yeah. who kind of made this really thing. And I it was remember that. I, I remember so seeing the first thing. I was engaged. Mm. Yeah. And then I then I reminded myself to step back and to kind of just... Uh, but I had to consciously do because it was so seductive. It mm. was so well well done. Mm. I mean, it was really well done. Mm. And But to step back and, and really see the story and then very soon the story unfolded that this was a completely nutcase and that he kind of you know used the money for himself and later on he, oh, he was he, he was running naked somewhere completely oh yeah remember the running and, naked and, and, yeah. and, and whatnot yeah. Yeah. but then but, but the, the case di- remained that the, the dictator, dictator was still, an asshole was still behaving as a dictator yeah <laughs> he didn't make yeah. that up I don't think no, you know I mean that's that's the <laughs> thing you know this whole thing didn't do anything you know no. except you know except making it go viral but hmm. I mean this guy is still out there you right. know raping and pillaging and you know having kids being soldiers and, and, and stuff like that yeah what was his name Con- Connie 
Konya. 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 Mm-hmm. Where is Konya? That was the thing, right? So, yeah. I mean, the good thing is that we we even we remember this name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it yeah. has, and remember, okay, there's a bad guy called Konya out there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, an, anybody out there, go get this guy. <laughs> I yeah, mean, that's what he was uh, trying to say that uh, it was a way to make people aware, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, in yeah. that, it was successful, I yes, suppose. Yes, but I mean, that, but that's, so I'm always very distrustful against all these kind of things. Mm kind of uh, and sometimes a bit too distrustful as well because in a, if you see this bigger picture and you're seeing all sides of the story I, I had a couple of years where I was really interested in, in uh, conspiracy theories not anymore uh, well I'm, I'm not that much anymore because the problem is they were really interesting till t- the 21st of 2012 because that's where a lot of things happened there were a lot of in- interesting information coming mm. out but now most blogs they you know they, wa- they were on their peak there and now mm-hmm. they're kind of watering down or they're just kind of relaying uh, um, how to say these uh, uh, these messages you get uh, how, how you call it uh, subliminal yeah subliminal message. not subliminal but if you go in trance and you have some some other consciousness talk to you uh, channeling okay. all these channeled mes- oh, messages <laughs> and, yeah. and sometimes they can be in there, there can be interesting stories in there as well mm. hmm. But most, I was mostly interested not not because of the theories, because I mean, through the in these two years, I really read those blogs. Fifty uh, percent of the theories came true. Fifty mm. percent. Mm. That's not bad. No, uh, yeah, I just, I just, percent. I just name a, no? I just name a number. It's, it's not precise, but, but I, th- it was, I think it, about. Sometimes they were right. Yeah. Put it that way. But you should say the whole sentence so someone can sample that and like make a song out of it. Fifty yeah. percent of the conspiracies <laughs> th- theories is came right. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I just name it. But it was, I mean, a huge part came through. The interesting part is as soon as they come through, they're hijacked by reality. They're mm. transformed and are taken away from the conspiracy theorists. Mm. Mm. Because then it just becomes reality. And that's yeah. And that was and that was a really fascinating process, kind of how, how these narrative makers, because, you know, if you make these theories, they solidify and they also have a, a reason to exist. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes if you, because you make a theory, mm-hmm. you know, it starts to be in reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, maybe it wasn't that organized, but because suddenly they say, "Oh, they're 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 placed into this organization from the outside." You know, you kind of, yeah, uh, you know, it's all of a sudden you're part of a conspiracy, right? Mm. And we're all been part of conspiracy. Sure, we all yeah. have, you know, and because that's that's how we function. That's how we organize organize information. Well, it depends on how you how you define conspiracy. Right, that's what I was going to say. Because some things are yes. When you point out unpleasant things, then people say that they are conspiracies and they are yes facts that people don't like to discuss. Where other things are just uh, loony things that are have no bounds with the right. real world. Because you could say that the fact that the United States government has slowly and surely um, been more and more under the control of the the wealthiest. Mm. in the United States but you I can say oh that's just a conspiracy but, but that's just a fact but that's just a fact yeah. I mean that's just that has well, happened and of course it has happened well and the other thing uh, uh, what I in with the Bay of Pigs in Cuba they were planning to fake blow up planes to enrage the American public right. into mm. a war right. And right. What, what happened with 9-11 there were planes running into buildings you know, so and there's a lot of conspiracy theories right, about, about that you know, and it's quite likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an unlikelihood that that some kind of agency or some kind of energy. I, I always like to see it as an energy within within an institution which makes things happen. So it, it might not even be 
evil con, con well it might be one person who kind of knows how to kind of control the system and push it in a certain direction and makes bad things happen accidentally or intently yeah. uh, but I, I have a Do you guys read Boing Boing? Yes, Probably you yes. do. Yeah. So there's here's a thing about conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy theorists aren't crazy. <laughs> That's how it is. Shall I read it to you? Sure. <laughs> I have a personal Facebook account, which I use to keep up with friends and family. Like many of you, I've also discovered that this gives me a peek inside the, the psyche of those friends and fi- family. And one thing of... Th- And one of the things that I saw was uh, was an interest and sometimes believe in conspiracy theories. It wasn't limited to the right or the left, and it definitely wasn't limited to people I love but consider a little bit off, if you know what I'm saying. Over and over, I saw perfectly rational, sane people supporting and spreading ideas that to me seemed a little nuts. And that made me curious. Where do conspiracy theories come from? The answer, according to psychologists and sociologists, is not Glenn Beck's fevered imagination. In fact, the category people who believe in conspiracy theories can't even really be separated into the other in a nice, neat way. If you look at the data, the people who believe in conspiracy theories are us. And those theories grow out of both historical context, our feelings about ourselves and the wider world, and the way that our brains respond to feelings of powerlessness and uncertainty. Here's a short excerpt from uh, from my most recent column to, for the New York Times magazine. While psychologists can't know exactly what goes on inside our heads, they have, through surveys and laboratory laboratory studies, come up with a set of traits that correlate with the conspiracy belief. In 2010, Swami, a co-author, summarized this research in a psychologist, a scientific uh, journal. They found, perhaps surprisingly, that believers are more likely to be cynical about the world in general and politics in Mm. particular. Conspiracy theories also seem to be more compelling to those with low self-worth, especially with regard to their sense of agency in the world at large. Conspiracy theories appear to be a way of reacting to uncertainty and powerlessness. This is a nice thing. I'll spin a conspiracy theory of this. You know, because they name, I mean, if you have a conspiracy going on, you want people believing in conspiracy to be weak and to be stupid and to have low self-worth. So you name it in a study, mm. you know, oh, yeah, people who believe in conspiracy, you know, they, they, oh, they don't have no self-esteem because that's what people remember. And they say, mm. oh, you're, you're, oh, you believe in theories. Oh, you have, oh, you have low self-esteem. Is that it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> to, oh, to, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. You know? To connect quickly one to the other. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, in, and there's, there's, there's example of these kind of psychological games. Mm. As well. mm. I mean, this is, this is what the secret agencies do best, you know, too. Mm. Sure misinform and and control information and bring it in a certain way that kind of because but know, again it depends on how you define a conspiracy theory because if you're asking people do you believe that aliens come and manipulate us and take us to their planet and put implants on us then most people who are rational will say no i do not believe on that to, however to, if you say do you think that there are structures that are not uh, that were not are aware of and that we are not publicly informed of that uh, impact our daily life, then people, most intelligent people will say yes. So yes, depends on how you define theory, um, conspiracy theory. Right. This this congressman the other day just said that um, Congress should be happy with Apple (laughs) and they should be like um, honoring Apple because right now Apple's, you know, under investigation for... 
tax evasion. Because they've been, you know, figuring out really clever strategies to avoid paying taxes. I mean, that's what corporations, that's like, the, the in a way, the primary activity now <laughs> of a corporation is to figure out how to avoid paying taxes. It, well, and so they figured out many ways to do it. And so, like, the conspiracy, in a way, is is that this guy thought it's, he thinks it's a good idea that yeah. a corporation not <laughs> pay taxes. So, like, you know, this guy who represents government thinks it's a good idea that, that the government shouldn't be properly funded by, like, a proportionate amount of the revenue that's been going on in the country. Yeah. And so, like, that is a conspiracy. And But it's not that's not a conspiracy as in, like, it's a theory. That is a conspiracy in that a bunch of fucking assholes are, with a lot of resources, are trying to get more resources. And they're working with... Every man hour, they're working with every, yeah, yeah. everything they, they got they to get more cash, and they they take it from everyone. And they That's take the, it, yeah. right? I, I I'm I'm you know I'm feverly seeking for. But for that's this. a fact. That's not a theory. That's, that's a, fact. a fact. It's not a theory. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> big difference between. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to find another blog post about kind of this offshore, offshore uh, things and kind of how the it's this nice information information thing on on how the wealth is divided in the world and basically like all 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 things added up like the military budgets state budget and all that and stuff you know is about the same amount that that's hidden away in tax havens right? oh wow and that's about in this you know i mean there's diff nobody really knows how much it is there's i think there's an a very very conservative estimate is 21 trillion dollars it's a very yeah, but wow. there's also speaking of thirty-five trillion dollars, right. so that could which really is fix the economy pretty that, well. That could it, fix the, yeah, yeah. So there's the there is no race forever. There, <laughs> there is no uh, there isn't yeah absolutely there there is no scarcity there is no economic no. crisis it's no. all implemented absolutely because that's how you control people you know because yeah, if you they fuck them up. Yeah. and if they're fucked up then they can't do stuff that they that will improve things and and wrest power away from those yeah. those minority who have it. All right. Another boing boing post. Talking about aliens. Tiny, oh. <laughs> tiny, tiny alien skeleton suspected of being human. There it is. Oh, so it was just a fetus? No, no, no. This what is this is supposed to be a three-year-old uh, uh, life form. Really? And it's and they've and people from renowned universities did research on that and they found out it's it's not uh, it's not human. It's not human. Oh, it's not human. Okay. It's this. Uh... Oh, but here it says DNA and other test results prove that it is human. No, no. This says smokes. Scientists now report that DNA and other tests prove that it, it is human. Fox Mulder what? believes otherwise. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Fox Mulder is. It's the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make more tea. Yeah, cool. <laughs> that it is. No, 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 no. I don't think that was the. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. I think it is similar to. Wait, I'll I'll open a full post. Okay. And here's. Well, anyways, it's quite remarkable because uh, it it wasn't a it wasn't a fetus. That was but, tiny. Yeah. That was really tiny. Let's see.
Oh yeah. Well, there's a whole. It comes from this um, documentary called Sirius. I haven't seen it, so I. You know, I'm what always. I'm about? always how it's. It's about this. Uh, it's about the alien disclosures. Okay. Project, uh, cool. Obviously. What's and the code name again? Uh, Sirius. Sirius. Okay. Mm. Look for that. Doctor Stephen Greer. Sounds like fun. It's really, it's really fun. It's really fun, and it could be true. You know, as I well, said, I, I, I believe everything and nothing. Well, this is, I don't necessarily. I, I mean, I believe there are aliens because the chances of us being alone in the whole universe are pretty small. So I believe that there is life out there. And didn't they find like thousands and thousands of habitable planets now exactly. uh, lately? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, studies about. But they had made, they no have run some data, some conservative data, and then yeah. they concluded that there must be some kind of life. Mm. Well, they've, they, they, I can't remember the numbers, so, because that, that would actually help our conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, we're, we're but really but getting into <laughs> nice vagaries now. I, I love that. Uh, I really love that. The uh, modern jackass. Uh, <laughs> no, but, yeah, because that's the thing, you know, we, we don't know what we're talking about. And, no, and, we don't. Uh, we googled something once and yeah, we, we remember we googled, that we yeah, googled as I said, something. Uh, as I said, I read this blog post wrong even. You know, I thought right. it's not human. And I, I read other blog posts and more <laughs> extensive blog posts where actually scientists said, okay, this is this is weird. Yeah. This yeah. is not kind of, this is not, you know. And But the, I think uh, the one interesting quest, uh, um, question, this Dr. Stephen Greer who made this movie about these tiny things. Mm-hmm. And he let, you know, he had a lot of scientists research it and... and uh, and there they actually said it wasn't hmm. it wasn't uh, humanoid hmm. it was related to i mean it, it's quite similar mm-hmm. in many ways but it's it's still off a bit and but uh, the more interesting thing is uh, is not that there is an alien mm-hmm. but the more interesting is how they get here right sure yeah because hmm. that that is that is the interesting question not not that they exist or not hmm. and I, I i thought he had a point there hmm. well my thing is that i don't Really believe that the U.S. government found aliens somewhere and they're oh, hiding them. Oh, they admitted them? that they, on the FBI on the FBI side. There's a the, there's at least the, they released documents on on uh, that they found uh, strange objects and strange strange beings at Roswell. Hmm. So and th- these things, you know, there's a lot of. As I said, we don't know what we're talking about. You know, you don't have all the papers. You don't, no. you don't, because right. no. we're talking about belief, and it's not about belief. This is right. about facts. If you don't have the facts, you just speculate, right. And right. That, which is all right. You know, it's no nothing wrong with speculating, but you don't know. Yeah. And uh, and but there's enough. You know, this Dr. Stephen Greer, he's been, uh, he's he's been working for this declassification for a long time, and he had a lot of kind of American uh, colonels and generals and like high military officials, mm. and pilots, and all that, saying, "Hey." There's a lot of weird stuff out there. We don't know yeah. what the fuck is it is. Well, it is. I, I saw an interview with a lady who said that the FBI has a fair amount of instances when they found unidentified objects in there and they could not track it to it being any kind of plane or mm. military artifact. Yeah, or it, it, She couldn't tell that that was UFOs or anything, but that they didn't know what it was. Yeah. So that's and the same thing with, with uh, crop circles. Uh, 95 of them are fake. 
but I th you know, then they did they did extensive research on this. You know, and ninety five or ninety five percent. Ninety five percent. Ninety five of them are. <laughs> they fake. counted them. <laughs> the they, other one hundred and twenty six. They talked to the ninety five farmers. <laughs> <laughs> no, like ninety five percent of it is obviously fake, or ninety nine right. even. But still, if there's one percent which isn't fake, and there there is like a certain percentage they can't figure out what it is, where it comes from, how it comes to being. Mm. So there's this one percent which is, or two percent, or whatever it is, is unexplainable. You know, that's that's reason enough to kind of figure the shit out. You know? mm. Mm. Anyway, who's graffitiing on our planet? God damn it! <laughs> my point being is that I don't know what's going on there, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if uh, if aliens were to come to Earth, it would probably not be pretty. I mean, humans will not be nice to them. The aliens would not be nice to the humans. You don't know. You don't know. I There's a lot of theories about this. You know? I, mean, well, I, I have a the, the most interesting, the most interesting one. Making, I mean, but most likely it's going to be some cosmic. <laughs> but humans are not <laughs> nice to each shit. other. Countries are not nice to each other. <laughs> no. Well, people are nice to each other. Well, but in a structural way, guards. they're not. Like you just have to deal with immigrations to know that in a structural level, in the art world, not. border guards, uh, various policemen. Yeah, but that, those are all 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 things where where there's a high rate of psychopath. Yeah, this is true. So but, uh, also there is some data on that. Yeah, but but <laughs> no, uh, talk about the aliens visiting. I mean, there's a uh, there's a nice theories about that. Well, first of all, you should 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 check into the Law of One series, which is this um, in the seventies. These um, Doctor Rukert and and some they they started this channeling thing, but they did it scientifically. So they they over I think two years or something they did this weekly basis where they kind of made contact with a entity called Ra Ra, like the the god Ra, mm -hmm. and uh, which said it was a six-dimensional being. You know, relaying information, and and it, the information it, uh, I say uh, uh, channeled there, it's fucking mind-boggling. I mean, some of it is quite odd, but but which is all said might be the translation from one dimension to the other. You know, I don't know, but uh, but <laughs> I mean, Google Translate hasn't worked that one out. Yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, this was way before Google Translate. Uh, no, so but it's it's super fascinating, and this this also speaks about that the Earth is in quarantine, mm. you know, until we develop to a certain stage where we kind of don't have to uh, war and and do stuff. But but it's in quarantine because it's been been out of balance, and because it's out of balance, we don't we don't evolve naturally, mm. you know, because we get all these obstructions of people want to fuck us over, you know, and if. And that has to do with our planetary alignments, energy, things, blah, 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 evil spirits, whatnot. You know, the whole shebang. And because uh, um, this being said, he's, I think he's from Venus and there they had a much more natural state to the, develop. So they went a lot faster through through this kind of periods of, of, of spiritual uh, development. Okay, let's bring this back down to art because I think it's, it's, it's actually relevant to mm -hmm. discuss it at this point, mm -hmm. which is that... Um, the difference between religion and or science fiction mm. and science is like one discovery away mm. in, in some cases. Mm. And in other words, um, you know, uh, basic facts of life that we take for granted, such as like the computer, like sleeping in the, in the corner, mm. um, only like a hundred years ago were like purely the craziest science yeah. fiction 
just a door, just a door opening by itself. I mean, that's magic. <laughs> or a, stairs, a sensor, stairs yeah. bringing you up without you moving. I mean, absolute the craziest science fiction. You know, yeah. really, really deep, deep science and fiction. And the response would have been religious. And the response would have been, oh, it's religious. It's Satan it's opening that door. Yeah. And it's like, and it's the, it's the angels bringing these cat photos to us. Well, it, <laughs> so, so. I, th I think it depends on how how it would be brought. You know, if you do it humorously, right. look, God is opening the door again. <laughs> Oh, oh, now he's closing it again. Oh, that would be ah, ha, 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 ha. So in other words, that that they could, some of the things that we're talking about, like with aliens and this and that, are like it, it's very easy to like put up. You know, okay, this is crazy talk. This is conspiracy shit. This is mm -hmm. whatever. And in many cases, probably is because we don't. Yeah, know. Hell yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But like, but still, the fact of the matter is very, very simple. The difference between religion and or sci-fi and science is is like very very close, very mm. very tenuous, you know. And so, where I think art has the potential mm. is to exist in a way uncomfortably mm. or like productively with productive friction in between some of these areas. Mm. In other words, that it's not religion anymore; mm. it just isn't and shouldn't be. Mm. And it's not. Um, it's not magic. <laughs> shit in the background. It's not uh, magic. Yeah. It's it's also um, has broken away from science in mm -hmm. a productive way. Mm. It's not science fiction. It's not. It's not. But it's not either. It, it yeah. isn't the scientific method. The scientific mm. method applied to art is only interesting occasionally. Yeah. It, yeah. It, the scientific method. Well, if you, if you do that often, you start out with that method, and then halfway so you kind of discard it right. for mm -hmm. something more interesting. That can be more right. interesting. Yeah. And so, like, part of the interesting thing then about art is that it does deal with the physical world. I mean, physics, as mm. in rainfall and light and, you know, the properties of wood. Mm. It does deal with this. We ground in the physical world. It's grounded in the physical world. Mm. And yet, it's also floating around in our imagination. Mm. Mm. And and so this combination of, of having it be part of our physical world and, and uh, you know, irretrievably... Uh, or like unmistakably and forever bound to the physical world, and yet still existing basically because the thing, the speculations that that's possible for us to do in our crazy heads, mm. um, is still very unknown, mm. and still producing mysterious things. And things don't have to add up with art. Mm. No. Which is, I mean, it, it's okay when things add up. Yeah, you don't have, a, have a, have you don't have like a clear conclusion yeah. at the end. It's no. like if we were say, oh, there is, it's nonsense. Like it's okay. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's also okay. Because, and this is, and this is where, you know, <laughs> physics, the, like experimental particle physics has become so important, is because these absolutely um, illogical speculations that we do as human beings, whether it's through art or poetry or other mm. things, um, they they don't produce in a way results that are immediately apparent. Mm. However, they do s produce surprisingly relevant results through through in the future, mm. and and often. Yeah. And so, like the the way that we, for example, um, did break away. Um, from science um, and we also the way that we produced art the way that we thought of art through history um, as some other activity in which um, w we it was no longer a spiritual activity mm. um, we because through science we like believed in that less and less and yet we sort of recognize in art that there is something else needed mm. there's just something that that science isn't solving mm. 
there's something that we can't put our finger on. And it's this kind of mystery um, that, that, that um, in a way, the, 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 the role of art fulfills in such a fantastic way fulfills without fulfilling anything mm -hmm. yep. and like and continues the, the the speculation for its own sake which in a way is the main point which then if you branch into politics this idea of speculation where you can imagine a world that is not yet here yep. where you can ask things that you wouldn't right. ask in the physical yep. uh, real politics that is something that it is very important for art. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, now, now we're, now, what, this is where art fulfills a social role, is when um, the, 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 the Russian constructivist said, okay, the way that we think of our social structure is it seems to be set, and yet overnight we can change it. You know, we mm -hmm. can change driving from the right side of the road to the left side of the road mm -hmm. if we want to overnight. Mm -hmm. All of us just, just has to decide, okay, mm -hmm. on Tuesday we, we drive on the left, we're done. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, so they, they decided that um, if we can somehow uh, have people picture this in their head, so they broke up graphic design. So normally books are put together, like book covers have like the title on the top and it's fat and then there's a, the author in the bottom and it's subtitle, whatever, etc. Yeah, yeah. So they broke up graphic design. They said, there's no reason for us. We can read text if it's all over the page. We can mm -hmm. read text if it's diagonal. Well, you, you go to Asia and you read from the back to the, exactly. the front for us. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and from, exactly. from, yeah, from the other side. So, yeah. yeah, sure. And so then they, they, they said, if we can use this as a symbol mm -hmm. of how a basic fact like a book design can be exploded and re rearranged and produced into a system that's actually functioning better because it's more exciting and because mm -hmm. it's more visual more engaging more, more engaging etc then then this can be used as an example of how then the rest of society could also be reconstructed because mm -hmm. for example if we say um the worst kind of way of saying uh, of like someone who's completely and absolutely chained into an ideology is when they say no se puede or they say like you can't it can't be done yeah. this can't be done yeah. you know w meaning like um uh, how can you produce an economy that isn't based on um speculative financial capitalism on debt like now and it's like oh yeah oh that's not possible this is just our reality our reality is is it, it, no it's not a reality it is one reality that is yeah. produced specifically to make a structure <laughs> and that, that then that like reproduces itself and reproduces the 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 image of that structure in everyone's minds and then everyone says no se puede mm. well if you see the world as a big installation where right. there's different systems working at the same time and different realities working at the same time and i think that notion of or this idea that more realities can exist at the same time is quite threatening and and quite you yeah. know for a lot of people quite unacceptable. Right. You, know, you have one reality, one set of rules, and that that's it. Right, mm -hmm. right. And the reason why we can switch is because there's several. Right. That's uh, we talked earlier about memory. I you know I have a hard time uh, remembering stuff not because I don't have it in my head, but because I don't in you know I I picked it up in a different kind of context. I picked it in a different mm -hmm. time. I, you right. know I mean even time for me is strange. You know if I like like a memory is super abstract for me mm -hmm. kind of like you okay i i picked you up at your house earlier you know which is which is almost a painting to me now yeah <laughs> it's it's not it's not it's not real i mean what is real is here it is now mm -hmm. right but uh but because it's real it's it's so real that it kind of it makes no sense we also remember like 
okay, we have we have 20 minutes. Let's just eat breakfast really quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets here. And then, ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, like, uh, so this, this, this reality that, that occurred to us during those brief moments or, mm. like, come and go so quickly, it's, like, yeah. super alarming. Yeah. yeah, but that's also the thing. I, I think, because you... You have this idea that reality is forever, mm-hmm. and then it is, but in a different shape every second. And and that is, I, I think that's what what's confusing me these days is yeah. that, okay, I I live four or five conscious realities next to each other. Right. You know, uh, doing a podcast, for example. Do, you know, start at this gallery now yeah. soon, and and you know, working with with furniture design and working at the academy, doing my own art stuff and family. You know, mm-hmm. these are these are completely different mental states right. for me this is not n- and we talked about this in 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 detroit as well uh, mm-hmm. last summer about you know the difference between art and design mm-hmm. or or a furniture piece and an art piece and and uh, yeah and they they can they can be the same but they they lie on different tracks at least for me mm-hmm. and and so to transfer knowledge and information from one track to the other you know, there's often a delay, mm. or it needs to be picked up. That's what. That's also why I started out. Like I, I, I've been doing installation art for ten years, but I still don't have a clue what I'm doing. As soon as I'm into it, yeah, like now in a conversation like this, yeah, we we might make some sense, <laughs> maybe not, but yeah, you know, we might make some sense. And you know, all of a sudden, all these thoughts come up you didn't even remember you had, or you, these these ideas come up you didn't remember you had. Mm. So it's it's much more an intuitive intuitive pro- process than a, like a scholarly pro- process right. and I think that's al- also a very artistic way of thinking yeah. mm-hmm. and and this way of thinking is I think still pretty scarce uh, and, and that's where yeah that's what you said earlier uh, comes into play and yeah. I think that's where where we have an important role to to do the different kind of thinking just so it's out there and and, and you know the residue will kind of find its way into all kind of other yeah. other areas yeah. Mm. But I think going back to what you, the passages you were re- reading, I think that there is just so much dogma into art making mm. of like, oh, art should be independent, even though what is independent, what is art, mm. and uh, media should be combined for them to survive. What, what mm. are media and what does media, mm. what does combine mean, what does survive mean? It's just, it, it seems like. It seems like there's just no reason for things to become so strict. Mm. And well, in a way, in a way, this book is a perfect example of a conspiracy yeah. theory. Mm. <laughs> I'm serious, because I mean, this is written by an art art critic, I would say, or some uh, an art art historian or mm. anything like that. And this is not for us artists. No. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I we can learn from this. it, but I mean, you should. You can learn from stuff, but. But it can also ruin a lot of stuff because because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're locked into uh, somebody yeah. else's idea of how things well, should work. Well, that's why you have to also read with a lot of you yeah. know, doubt. Like you do. Yeah. A lot of mm-hmm. criti- mm-hmm. critical distance. Yeah. yeah. And But that can also turn the other way, that we get so critical that we just disregard everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, right. that happens quite easily Which with all of us too. Yeah. Another. I mean, yeah. then, then, well, that's when you need to find the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is that I mean, I I enjoy 
art um, theory and I like reading it and I think it's super important and that it does make you understand things and it makes you smarter and it makes you understand your work. Mm. All of that is true. However, most art theorists yeah, and can most I, art I, critics, they don't make art. Yeah, but can I say it makes you smarter? I, I would add to that temporarily. Because what what I what I found out with reading kind of these books, you got the knowledge, you have it accessible for a month, and then it goes to the deeper layers of your memory, and then kind of you in, you integrate it, may you integrate some distortion of it into your own thinking and your own system, but but really like the the fresh information only only works for a very very limited time. It depends on yeah. the on the writer. I mean, I mean some books on, are like on, it depends on the books. It depends on, you know, some books are in a way only worth it for for like you're lucky if a book gives you one good line. Mm. But if it does, then you're If it does, then that good line is really good and it sticks with you then that's that's good. Mm. If it if it disappears, then I suppose it wasn't so interesting anyway. Yeah. But like some books, you know, we we've been rereading Hannah Arendt um the human condition and the mm. the judgment mm. um it's many many times because mm. basically every paragraph is packed mm. just packed well and, and like the insight that comes out of that you, you can't take it all with you but like when you reread it and you think about it and you let it like sink in and you like then you apply it to other things and you also see where she's influenced other people so when you're reading other books and you see okay this person this idea comes directly from Hannah Aaron et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. that's when it becomes a lot more meaningful it's when you're living with with um, a set uh, of theories yeah you might be right I, I'm reading uh, to my son now Peter Sloterdijk yeah uh, Atmospheres or yeah. I think it's called and uh, and it's I mean, it, it's mind-boggling good, but but at the same time, I don't know what to do with the information. I don't know how to, you know. I, I know it's important information, and I know I should kind of memorize it or kind of do something with it. But uh, as I said, this rereading process of of, but how? As a, as I said, there's so much information out there. How determine what it what is essential to you? Mm. It's almost the whole search, and y- you yeah. can spend your whole life just looking for. What is there for you? In some ways, I get dubious of, for example, Sloterdijk, mm. or um, dubious of of uh, um, Boris Groy's art power, for example, because it's so of the moment and so like like it speaks to us so immediately mm. as artists and like producing now. Mm. Then I, I, in a way, I feel like okay, this is going to be ephemeral, mm-hmm. and well, these aren't these I mean, thoughts are not going to be. I mean, it's still good to read it, but yeah, but I. D- but that that uh, was the, the thing with Sloterdijk, uh, at least uh, that book when I was reading, it isn't like that. It's mm. it's like oh wow, this are this uh, this is actually new thoughts. This is thoughts mm. I haven't read before. Mm. Mm. You know, this is kind of this is kind of a different kind of view or approach to to the same kind of problem. You know, the the the. the his his essential question in a way is not kind of who we are but where we are mm. which is i think quite nice mm-hmm. yeah because it because it you know uh, that's also a visual artist kind of perspective or much more useful to a visual artist as a perspective because yeah. you're, you're working with r- relations a lot you mm-hmm. know with your your work in relation to context to mm. time to history to mm. to all the things so i think that is uh that is quite nice but so he he talks about a lot of stuff which are you know which which only he also just scratched the surface i think yeah. and and that's that's quite fascinating but again you know kind of 
how to how to study that and how to kind of yeah because I, I sometimes feel we as artists we we read this well you gave a, the, the opposite example with rereading this kind of book but we often kind of read these books because we you know we need to have them read just to kind of be updated so we can throw some one-liners in the conversation that's and, that's and dangerous yeah that's not good yeah. I, I, I don't least, think I mean, we, we, we ever read for those purposes. On occasion, I need to understand what people are talking about, and so I hammer through something. But then, if it's not interesting, I just leave it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't say that as a, I don't mean it as a completely bad thing, because I mean, yeah. you, no, you, no, you get you stuff out of there, and you, and you have your finger on some kind of pulse. So I think it's, it is important, yeah. but, but, uh, um, it's only. It can also very easily be a, a huge distraction. Sure, yeah. yeah, it's a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, it's many each, you know, all these pages, yeah. mm. all these pages. But um, to me, it's always useful to just see how someone else is thinking. Mm. Is to fi- follow one track of thought that is not yours. Mm. I think it's extremely important. And mm. then, if every twenty pages something comes that it is useful to you, that can be implied to applied to your work, or it can open a window to wh- mm. how you're working, then it's all worthy. Yeah. So I, I can't see how any of it would be a waste of time. No, no, no. But uh, the other thing is, if you if you read too much art-related books, mm. I think. Uh, your art will turn into more art for artists because that's your reference point. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of how you position yourself, where you get your inspiration kind of determines a lot kind of what you get out of it. That's sure. true. And uh, that was also the reason why, why I got into the conspiracy theories because I, I found like a very interesting mm. narrative right. mm-hmm. which was closely rela- related to reality mm-hmm. but had some really nice spin-offs. Well, mm-hmm. I can see you know? that. And, and it... And it, and it uh, um, you know, instead of a movie where you have like a set thing, it was like this fluent thing kind of moving through cyberspace, mm-hmm. you know, and information popped up from the strangest places and disappeared and debunked and kind of mm-hmm. rediscovered and rechewed. And and so, I mean, this kind of, or this way of dealing with narrative, I th- found very interesting. Yeah. yeah, we're reading this book, The Philosophy of Many, and that yeah. book is many. Mm-hmm. I mean... York Simo. Jerk Simo? Every, every line is... I mean, every page has something useful this in there. This is so unbelievably packed. Yeah. It's just packed. I mean, every line is interesting. Every paragraph is built up in an interesting way. And every connection between the paragraphs is mm. unbelievable. It's super dense. It's mm. really, really worthwhile. Mm. The theory of things? Theory Philosoph- of money. Theory. Philosophy, Philosophy of money. Of money. Mm. Yeah, it's really, really good. Mm. Yeah. Well, reading is never a bad thing, um, but I mean, it, it is true though that that you can be kind of hijacked, mm. yeah. and that's not a good condition. So it's it's always good to maintain your. It's good. It's good to lose yourself, but then it's good to sort of yeah to find swim you. back yeah, yeah. to to yeah. shore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I also feel like maybe it's good to read a variety of things. Like for yeah. example, you always meet people who are who only read a post-structuralist theory, yeah. and then you know what they're going to say and what they're coming from, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like you don't know where they are because they have become. A yeah. As I said, that's your reference points. You, mm-hmm. you yeah. Also, I, I do believe, as I said, to 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 get a broader spectrum as possible from from where you draw. Yeah, I think that may, may, may mm-hmm. make sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but the other interesting thing, you know, as as, as we said. About, about books you know if you get one line of it mm. that's already a lot yeah. and, but that leads me to think also kind of uh, to to your own thoughts 
I, I talked about this earlier in an earlier podcast. How many how many thoughts in your head are really your own? Mm. Mm. And if you think about it, I don't maybe you know not even one percent is your own thoughts. The rest is just kind of rechewing of mm. of visual image of things. Yeah, yeah. you mm. can almost feel the flow of thoughts through your head if you just kind of step back from your thoughts. Mm. Mm. If you can if you can imagine that and uh, and so most of your thoughts are not your own. Yeah. So. Well, the dan the dangers also that and that's where it also comes from if you just read a specific thing that's why i don't believe in specialization and i really like this idea of the gesamtkunstwerk <laughs> because that kind of mm -hmm. negates this idea of specialization mm. yeah. and y you want to try to be good at everything mm. uh, that's a much more interesting proposal than being good at one thing i think that's super boring always <laughs> you can yeah. be good at everything yeah <laughs> Or at least and and that's that's one thing where people say yeah, you can't do that mm. and you know, well, the more reason to try because mm. yeah. I think it's completely of course you can go, be good at everything there's example through history yeah yeah there are some people I mean the the issue in many cases is just time yeah you know that we simply time are management yes getting older and dying <laughs> yeah. and or, or you know really in order to become good at something. Mm. Unless you have some kind of gift, which isn't normal, you need to, de to develop a lot of time in perfecting whatever craft is. Mm. And so this then it really becomes a matter of um, time management. If you're going to be good at, at like 10 different things and you need to, to sort of divide your your time into 10 different ways, it's just sometimes possible, but not always. But I, I agree and disagree. Um, I disagree because I think the skills you achieve, so I believe that you should get uh, you know, invest in a certain time, invest in a certain set of skills, which is reasonably limited. But as soon as you, as you have these skills, I also believe that you can transfor uh, transform these skills to other areas. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Because that means you have to understand the structures of of these skills. Mm. And you can apply the same structures to... Because, you know, if you get really good at sculpting, for example, these qualities and these structures and these kind of logistics... You can transfer uh, transfer to painting. I see. Yeah. yeah, and be a really good painter. So it takes and and you time can each time you change to another. Yeah, and you can and you can switch it to economics. Sure. Because you understand systems much better. And you can, so I agree with that. So yeah, if you're just gonna try to achieve kind of skills mm -hmm. without understanding the structure. Yeah. Yeah. Then then specialization is maybe a good idea for you. Mm. But but if you also invest in understanding the structure. You uh, you know it's easy to to be good at everything. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of how we've we've gone about things because yeah. we've we've had at least six different careers in a way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause we started out with a small music piece of you. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I, ha I I forgot to mention. Where was the city? I think uh, it's. No. Uh, well, maybe next to the computer. Oh, yeah. well, I can't reach it. I think it's I have Porto, it here. It's Porto, anyway. It's uh, yeah. the the CD is called. Maybe you can go pick it up. No, I, I I have it here. I have it here. It's Porto Audio CD, published by Lucky Kitchen in two thousand and five, and the project was curated by Pedro Roca at the Serralves Museum Porto, yeah. Portugal. Yeah. Mm. And the track uh, and the track name was, was number one. It was the um, what's it called? It was the haircut. Barbeira, Barbeira. South Ferreira. South Ferreira. It's, uh, well, we just it recorded, it's just a field recording from... Uh, oh, you can, you want to read it? Mm. 
A common hairstyle of local men is given by barbers using two stainless steel scissors, one in each hand. Instead of using an electric razor to thin the hair in neat layers, they use a rapid snip-snip motion like Edward Scissor's hands. In this track, we went to Pedro Rocha's local barber downtown and asked if we could record. While the radio played soothing songs in the background, two older gentlemen had their gray streaked hair trimmed. Nice. That's what it is. I think uh, I think I'll uh, download a track from the CD and attach no, it. No, but you can, you can keep the CDs. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, but for to, the to put, I see. Um, okay. I, I recorded from the iPad, but I think the sound quality is a mm. bit inferior, then, so mm. we don't want that. Mm. Yeah, because um, yeah, back to the music. Because when I got to know you guys, it was in two thousand seven. I, I would say yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I thought of you as sound people, yeah. working with sound and stuff. Mm. But lately, I've only seen. Well, I own one of your really nice drawings, mm. and uh, and I've seen you do a lot of uh, like um, flat based work. Let's say mm-hmm. like that, like uh, more more. Uh, so I haven't I haven't hear you make sound uh, that much uh, lately. We, we still do two radio pieces lately but um two radio pieces and we have uh, an, uh two hours of unedited um synthesizer sounds that we're going to work on at some point yeah, nice that we recorded in stockholm but we have yeah we have we, we were uncomfortable with being sound artists so we just yeah. thought we will we, we break will away from that. it yeah. Yeah. yeah the actual activity is it's, it's we fun. have the same amount of pleasure yeah um or like inspiration but to be known as a sound artist for us was just yeah, sounded it, terrible. Yeah, yeah. It, we was, it was again. not. It was not good. No, but I remember the presentation you did at the academy. Yeah, when when all the professors were kind of just presenting what they were doing, so yeah. everybody knew what everybody was doing. Uh, what year? That was uh, two seven eight two thousand eight yeah, something. On, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. And uh, but then you had, uh, I think. The main there it was much more installations I would say because yeah. they were always integrated in into into environments but also as with this track that you go to uh, that you connect to some kind of local community and, yeah. uh, and so the, the story the story is bigger than yeah. than than the result in a certain sense mm. yeah we're doing more documentary well it's because we started with a uh, field recordings sound doing more documentary based works. That also moved into installation, and now we're doing more studio works. Mm. So we're, but we're do, do you lot. think? Uh, I, I talked in earlier podcasts uh, about this as well. Do you think, kind of this location where you're now and kind of situation, kind of also determines a bit, kind of what your, what your work is turning out to be? Every Partially. yeah, every time we move, of course, it, we get influenced in a big way. I mean, we're open. We're yeah. like we're we're we want to be influenced. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, I think yeah. that's yeah. that's a that's. No, I I don't I don't strategy. see that as a critique at all. I'm just yeah. I'm just f- fascinated in in in, uh, in how this works. Yeah, I would for sure. That's that's definitely a big part of it. Um, another part of it is just, in a way, not looking for the end perfect mm. result. Mm. Um, but there, are, I I think there are moments in which. We um, we kind of feel like we've reached something and we're done with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And like for example, this this work of on Porto is was the kind of moment where we said, decided, okay, this way of working, 
this is pretty much what we have to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we yeah, move now on. Now we move on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the perfect moment to move on. Mm. Yeah, you just had a show at uh, Grünelöcker Kunsthall. Mm. I really like the show, by the way. Thanks. I really Thanks. Like, really, it turned out really nice, the works. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was fun. It's a nice yeah. space to work in. Yeah. I've been relaxed, I yeah. thought. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I, I love these kind of spaces because yeah. they're... Yeah, they're, there's not so much stress, uh, stress attached to it. No. no, I mean you still have to do all the effort to do do the work, but it's mm. yeah. Um, well, the, these kind of shows are kind of the shows where we as artists go to hang out and and so that I wouldn't say this is a show for the larger pu- public. Mm. So it's a bit safer in a way. It's in a, a way, yeah. It, it's yeah. A, yeah. It was very nice smaller. to work with mm. Spain because he was great Sign, yeah, yeah. doing everything like he was super efficient doing everything but he was super relaxed and yeah. then he just was basically what do you need and yeah. what do you want to do and it yeah. was not ne- you know like he didn't did he publish your book as well no no because we, we he has a he has a publishing thing okay, okay. i guess no, you didn't know i mean we didn't we just you did knew that him better than i did but i didn't know him so well before this show because mm. you did some work at the academy together right yeah yeah yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I think it's really important in a way to be an artist if you're a curator. Yeah. The, we, there are very few, we've worked with very few curators who are just curators. Yeah. Mm. I mean, f- very few good curators who are just curators. Yeah. You know, if, and uh, sometimes they're just professional and they get the job, then that's fine. But mm. the, normally the best, our, our like most favorite curators are the people who are also artists yeah. you know because there's just so much more at stake and the, the, the yeah. deeper understanding what the, what's yeah. going on is, is there yeah. or if they're not artists that they do publishing or that they're yeah. very engaged with writing I think a parallel activity then you have more to risk it's not about just putting the things together it's about kind of having an approach to things and wanting to put that forward yeah also, I thought uh, I thought he published her because he. Uh, yeah. 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 No, we yeah we just did that on our by ourselves at the academy. Yeah. With the risography. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You have to teach me that because I wanna I wanna. I think you would like it. I would uh, I would like to do some very cool publication machine. stuff. Yeah. Well, we have. Especially uh, now with our new gallery, I think we yeah, should do some yeah, publications sure and stuff. For sure. For sure. Well, before uh, t- in the next week or two, we should go there and teach you. Yeah, sounds good. Because I'm sure you can I got get I, I, I bought these um, these books online about Japanese joinery and stuff from this oh, kind of nice. of of this um, blogger who's uh, really good, but you know, he's a bit bitter too. And he's uh, but I really enjoy. It. I mean, he has he's one of the blogs out there who actually puts out knowledge, mm. which is worthwhile uh, above like the you know start starting startup level. Mm. So. Um, and since I wanna, I wanna try to develop um, a CNC way of Japanese joinery hmm. to use like uh, the computer, to uh, computer uh, programmed machines to uh, cut out mm-hmm. these really fancy joinery mm. for construction. Hmm. So it's very precise, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's re- very precise, but but I mean, um, so it's basically puzzles mm-hmm. you're yeah. making. Yeah. And uh, really pretty puzzles, which are also constructively, uh, constructively sound. Mm-hmm. So I want to develop a book there. So I, I, I thought I have this book, but I want to print them out so I have a nice, nice physical, mm-hmm. physical thing. Yeah, mm. you will like it. I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, we still do it before we go, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, and we then can you can get access to the room with your cart. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, yeah. I, I think should I've be able to. most places. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Yeah. Shall we have a small break? Yep. Sure. What time is it? I don't know. Okay, change of plans. No break. <laughs> We're going to uh, close off the show. It was fantastic having you here. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks very much for the invitation. Uh, it was I good really enjoyed it. And I'm going to get you guys back on. Um, hopefully in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. why you guys are moving. We yes. forgot to talk about that at all. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. and since I was a, such a big grunge head as a kid, I, you know, yeah. I, I really need to go there. You always. should really yeah. come. So come. But visit. also we will have a space. So we will. Yeah. We're talking about having Jonathan, Peter and you. Yeah. And Juan Andres do a show together. Oh, wow. That would be really yeah. fun. Wow, that'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 That'd be really awesome because we've been, we've been trying to set up a show like that for you know the same amount we were trying to open a gallery. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> the gallery managed now, so maybe, uh, maybe we finally... Uh, well, when we, yeah, if when we, we have the space... If we, we get the space that we yeah. hope we're going to get, then yeah, we're, no going to, yeah. uh, we're going oh, that's to gonna be awesome, four yeah. of you for, for an exhibition for yeah. sure. That'd be awesome. So. So I hope that there's at least one line of this this uh, <laughs> podcast that, that is useful to someone. <laughs> that is useful to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, but but um, yeah. So talking about changes, I guess in a way, yeah, this is marking our our departure from yeah. Norway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we have learned a lot. Mm. We have. It's been, well, it's I, been I'm really happy to have met you. And, uh, yeah. Really yeah, really it has been it has been good for us for sure. Mm. We have developed and grown. Mm. Mm. Become yeah. better artists and better people. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. that's all you can wish for. Yeah. yeah. Now we move on to another, another chapter, new yeah. place. Hopefully, yeah. we can grow there too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there will be challenges too. Hopefully. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But really nice having you guys here. And well, thank uh, you. Well. Nice to talk uh, to you. Thank you for listening out there and. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, probably have to do some housekeeping. You can find the show on, on the website, thefridoshow.com. And um, you can follow the show on Twitter through Frido at the Frido Show. And, and uh, you probably, at a certain time, you can get it on iTunes and probably some other channels. Anyways. Uh, Bye, Frido. Bye. Goodbye.